Jesus did this person with this person. And there was a lot of that that's going on. And now we're getting into a chunk that's kind of just Jesus sitting down, giving people the business. Like he's just telling them, you know. And in one sense, uh, what we could do is just, and I'm going to basically do this today, you could just read what he says, and that's it. Because it's kind of like this is a Jesus sermon here. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like the Sermon on the Mount or something like that. This isn't us talking about something Jesus was doing. This is Jesus literally teaching himself. And so that's, you could just leave it alone that way. But I think that really what's going on in each of these next couple couple chapters is there's too much to really preach about in one message. And so I really want to encourage you that what we've been doing, some of you know this, some of you don't, and if you don't, I'm telling you, (laughs) every day we send out a text or an email, it depends on how you sign up, it's called the everyday, or I call it not today Satan. Um, And what it is, is Pastor Kevin has been going through like today we're preaching on John 14, and so for the next six days, or five days, really, it's the, the weekdays, and then on, anyway, he goes through these chapters in chunks, kind of in mini devotional. So it has a scripture reading, kind of a, a thought or something, and then uh, in prayer, so we can all be in this thing together. And I want to really encourage you to sign up for this if you haven't. This will also sign you up for our other texts, so that, like, if it's raining next Sunday and we text out, hey, we're going to be inside, you would get that text. Um, one piece of housekeeping regarding this, if you sign up via email, uh, it will email you a confirmation email, and you need to click, yes, I'm a real person. Okay, so we had some people sign up. They're like, I signed up, and I didn't get anything. I was like, oh, and so just check. If you sign up right now, check your junk mail and make sure that you fully finish the last step, but definitely check that out because especially these next couple weeks, these things invite reflection because what Jesus is saying is rapid and deep And, you know, there's more than we can just talk about. So let me pray really quick. We're going to get into John 14, and then we're going to have soup. So, Father, bless this time. Bless these words. Open our hearts to receive as as your words are spoken that we could hear what you're saying. Um, And as we look at different aspects of it, Lord, help us to see uh, your truth, who you are, and what you're doing. And speak to our hearts and change our minds. Change our lives in your precious name. Amen. So John 14, and I called this, I am the way. Because you, that's the scripture. There's, there's a, the children's memory verses that I am the way, the truth, and the life, which we'll get to. But as you look at this whole chapter, as I did, um, it was almost confusing because it started to feel like a fractal to me a little bit. And what I mean by fractal is like you, you guys know that like you have those patterns where um, I put up a triangle one just to show as an example. So, like, you know, it's one of these kind of things that, like, if you keep zooming in, there's, like, there's big pieces that have the smaller pieces within it. And then if you zoom out infinitely, they keep repeating. But if you zoom in infinitely, it could keep repeating. And I'm not, like, big on fractal science, so don't, like, get it, you know, feel like, what p- point are you making? My point is <laughs> that there was, like, se- segments in this t- teaching that Jesus is doing that almost have, like, a pattern to them. But then within each one of these pieces, there's like all the other pieces or most of all the pieces. And so it's not really like a pure fractal. But as I was reading, it's like, wait, didn't he just say that over there? And isn't that so if you feel like this is somewhat repetitive, um, I think you're reading it right, because I think Jesus is trying to make a point. And uh, the pattern that I saw was this. I think that there's and I I tried to uh, condense this in the best terms I could. You could probably do better and other people probably have. But it seems to be he's making these points. He's talking about. Guys, I'm about to go, so here's some things I need you to know. And uh, it's, he talks a lot about believing and knowing God and believing him and doing what he does. 
And he keeps saying, I'm going away, but I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I'm coming back. And all of this is kind of built into the like, I'm telling you this ahead of time, so you're not afraid. And he says that a few times too. So this is the kind of fractal pattern we're going to be looking at in these different, uh, different segments. So kind of part one here. I'm gonna, so what I'll do is I'm just going to read the scripture, because like I said, we could just read this and then be done. But I'm going to read and then make kind of some points as we go along. So starting on verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be there where I am. Let me read that again. <laughs> and, if you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, that's almost like a tongue twister in English. So you can see the next part, which we'll get to in a second. Thomas said to him, like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? But the place he's talking about is God's place. And, and generally, this kind of terminology would mean the Father's house would be like the Father's household, like the people of God, or maybe even the temple where God's presence dwells. A lot of times you'll hear people use this as a reference to, like, heaven, which is probably not the best, but that's God's space, so that's fine, you know. The idea of being with Jesus where he is, that's the good place to go. That's the good place to be, no matter the context of anything surrounding it. And then, But he says, you, he ends this with a statement, and, and again, I want you to put yourself in the place of the disciples, because we're disciples of Jesus the same way these guys were. If he said to you, I'm going to go do all this stuff, and then he said to you, you know the place that I'm, to, I'm going, the very natural response is the, the response that you see uh, Thomas say. He says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And that's a good question or a good clarifier, I think. And then Jesus answered him, and this is the memory verse the children are learning today. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he continues, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, that's a big, big statement that Jesus just made. Because, and it, it, this is, we don't have total time to unpack all of this, I don't think. A lot of times you'll see in the Gospel of John, there's been a bunch of these, what they call I am statements, where Jesus says, I am. Remember, he was talking about the light, you know. He, there's, there's a whole bunch of them. This is kind of the most, the concluding one. And he's doing a couple things with that. Not only is he making a point that I am this, but the I am, you should, remi- you should remind you, you're like, where did I hear that? When Moses asks God in the burning bush, like, who, who do I tell? Like, if <laughs> no one's going to trust me, who do I tell them sent me? He's like, tell them I am that I am sent you. This is G- that God refers to himself as I am the one that just is. I'm not a created being like everything else. I am God. And it's a unique understanding of God because... Th- the reason that I want to take a second on this is because we think, as kind of in post-enlightenment culture and everything, that there's this kind of infinite ideas of who God could be, and it's not really true. Like, if you start to really look into this, there's only so many different versions of God that you could even make up or envision or come up with, and, pe- and people have, and they do, but Jesus isn't just saying with this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that he is God like start in the most broad sense, which he is saying that. He's also saying, 
I am that same God that was talking to Moses in that burning bush, which is a specific version of God, a specific understanding, a specific revelation of who God is. The Hebrew God, and Jesus is saying, I am that God. And that <laughs> reveals who the true nature of the true God. You see what I'm saying? So you're over here in the whatever, who knows, whatever, you know, your truth, my truth, whatever kind of thing. And he's like, well, kind of no. There's this one that's different, and he's the real God. And Jesus is saying, I am that God. Does everybody follow what I mean by that? So not only is he saying that he is the Hebrew God, he's saying the Hebrew God is the only true God. Craig Keener says it this way, just as Judaism affirmed that there was only one God and thus one right way, his law, Jesus here affirms he is the only way to God. He's the only way to the only God. I should have made a slide of that. That's what Jesus is really saying here. He's the only way to the only God. And that's the main point. And, and it's actually quite good news. And I'm going to share, this is a clip from a, a book I, I highly recommend. It's by E. Stanley Jones. It's called Christ of the Indian Road. And I really like this because he started going to India and, and talking with people about uh, the nature of God, who God was like, but just using reason and kind of back, backing his way into the Bible. You know, because if you say, well, because the Bible says so, that didn't really mean anything to anybody over there. They would go, okay, whatever. And this was back in like the 1930s. But he started to realize that God being God, self-evident, and everything like what he was just saying, the way, the truth, and the life, it just kind of, he, he shows up and he works it out. And he says this, that the greatest news, <laughs> Jesus is the only way to the only God, right? And he's showing us what God is like. So the only God, the God, the only God that really exists is this Hebrew God, and that Hebrew God is like me, or not me, but Jesus is saying that. You see what I'm saying? This is huge. And we don't have to go just because the Bible told me so, which is fine to do. I'm fine with that. But it's in our mindset, maybe, is it true because I believe it or is it just true? You see the difference between those two things? And I think the second one is the most important one. It's just true. And we don't have to worry about it or defend it in the same sort of way. Here's what he says. The greatest news that has ever been broken to the human race, all of us, is the news that God is like Christ. And the greatest news that we can break to the non, oh, I'm going to start before this. Let me go back. If the finest spirits of the human race should sit down, I like this, and think out the kind of a God they would like to see in the universe. Remember over here? Well, what would God, if we could make up a God, what would he be like? Okay. He's saying the finest mind. So it means the smartest people, the philosopher, all this kind of stuff. If the finest spirits of the human race could sit down and think out the kind of a God they would like to see in the universe, his moral and spiritual likeness would gradually form like unto the Son of Man. The greatest news that has ever been broken to the human race is the news that God is like Christ. And the greatest news that we can break to the non-Christian world is just that, that the God whom you have dimly realized and about whose character you are uncertain, is like Christ. Now, that's good news that we can all bear and all share. So I'm just going to leave you with that. That's Christ of the Indian Road, and if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's an old book by an old man who has since gone on to be with the Lord. Verse 8, Philip said, Lord, in response to that, so that's kind of a bomb Jesus just drops. 
And Philip, like we would probably go, <laughs> he says, Lord, just show us the Father and we'll be enough for us. <laughs> and I really appreciate the frankness and the honesty of this whole thing. Because they're like, I don't know what really you were talking about right there. So just, you know, show us some power or something like that, you know. And I know that you think things like this because I think the same stuff. <laughs> Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? <laughs> He's like, I can't do anything but show you the Father. You're looking at, you're looking at me right now, you know. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater. They will do, listen to this. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's another, again, powerful statement. So seeing, so j- seeing Jesus is seeing exactly what God is like. We were just talking about. So, but he talks about this interesting thing, like the works, and I'm doing what my Father's doing. Again, that's a theme that's come up over and over and over again. But now he's like, so you guys are followers, so you just do the same sort of things I do. And you go, well, what exactly are you talking about? You know. So I, when I see things like greater works, there's two questions that come to mind, and we can kind of talk about them. It's like, what works are you talking about, and in what exact sense do you mean greater? You know, so what works, and in what sense? We'll answer these kind of in backwards order, because uh, greater sounds really weird to us when we just went through last week when uh, Jackson was speaking. John, you know, John 13. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So he's not greater than Jesus in the sense of, like, more powerful or more immense or something like that. But he's starting to lay out something. Remember, Jesus was talking about being a servant in the last chapter. And then, and then the, the Spirit will do things that we ask in Jesus' name for the glory of the Son. You see what I'm saying? So I think a lot of people have d- debated on this for a lot of, long time. And so a lot of times some people are thinking, well, maybe what they mean by greater is numerically greater because the work of the Spirit in Jesus was one person. So Jesus is praying for people on an individual basis. And if you have one person doing that versus 12 people doing that, like the disciple or 120 or thousands as it goes on through the millennia, that's greater numerically. Or maybe he means geographically because, again, you have... Uh, People that are now, go ye therefore into all the world and all this kind of thing. And so they are. So it's like now it's not just in this one space. It's like for everywhere, you know. And then other people really do think this. Like, no, he literally means doing greater things, like actually greater things because the Holy Spirit coming into people. And I actually don't have a problem with any of these understandings uh, because all of these, like we just said, the servant is not greater than the, the master, and it all gives glory to Jesus. That's the whole thing. But so greater, but in what what kind of deeds or what kind of works? This is another thing that people uh, struggle with. And I think that because people will side on one, two sides of how to understand this. One is like, well, what is like good deeds, you know, like taking care of the poor and stuff like that. Or like, as this one calls this slide, ethical deeds, you know, Jesus being kind to people and this kind of thing, because that's a lot of what Jesus did. But then other people are like, well, it's also the miraculous, or it, it, maybe it's the miraculous signs because Jesus was healing people. I mean, he's literally kind of making reference to like, how he just healed people that were blind and things like that. 
And I tend to think that it means both, that those of us that follow Jesus, being Christ-like means that our deeds, if, if Jesus is only doing what the Father is doing, and it led to these kinds of things happening, that us following him with his, what he's just laid out here with the, the uh, you know, whatever you ask in my name and this whole kind of thing, that, that our lives should be filled probably with both of these. This is what I think this means. Um, so not which one, but both. <laughs> but you go, I can't do miracles. Like, I can't do any of that. Um, that's fair. <laughs> and Jesus knows that because you can see what the next thing is. Verse 15, if you love me, keep, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate to help you and to be with you forever. So Jesus now is introducing the word paraclete is for the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the need for Christian people to have a Holy Spirit-filled life to accomplish the Christian life that Jesus has put before us. And that would encompass both of the things that I was just talking about, like loving your neighbor as yourself and being able to lay hands on people and pray in Jesus' name, all of the above. You know, So let's not try to put it in only the box that's comfortable for us. I think he's laying out, and it's, and it's important that we realize that Jesus is, I mean, immediately saying here, you can't do it by yourself. This isn't like a try harder sort of thing. Or if you really strain this time and pray, then it will work. It just doesn't do that. The, and I will give to you the advocate and help you be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is where it's like these things are repeating. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. (laughs) Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and, and show myself to them. Now, there's, again, a lot of density to all these things, which I invite you to go back and read, especially as we go through it this week, and reflect on all the depth of what these things like. What if Jesus really meant these things? Okay? And what I mean by that is, I think he did. <laughs> so when you read them, go, what if that's really true about me or my family or my life or everything that I'm doing? What if that's actually true? And he's so repetitive here. In, he's making the point here, I think a big point, that the Holy Spirit is necessary for a Christian's life. And the Holy, the Holy Spirit is described here as an advocate or a helper. And you'll see in chapter 15, chapter 16, this comes up again. Again, the kind of repet- repetition keeps coming back. You know, this Life, as a Christian life, requires the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And that's how Jesus is dwelling within us. And he even gets into that. And the original, the original language of this, it means it's like advocate, helper, or and sometimes intercessor. You know, kind of a defender, a person that would speak on your behalf, that kind of thing. You can't do it alone. You need a helper. But then they also, he says repeatedly in verse 15, and then later, that loving him is the same as keeping his commandments. Like, it's not... You don't, if you're doing one, you're doing the other. And if you're not doing one, you're not doing the other. You see what I'm saying? I think that we can distort our, like, I love him, but I don't do what he tells me to do. I mean, no one would really say that. But we, I think a lot of us think that we can live that way. And I think all of us that are parents know that's not really true. <laughs> not that we have commandments for our kids, but you know what I'm saying. The, uh, it's funny that if you don't stop to think about it, you think you could get away with some kind of life like that? 
that you would have the, the claim that you love him, but you don't follow any of his commands. And these commands are the kind of commands that are impossible for us to accomplish on our own, requiring the indwelling of the Spirit. Think about that. But then it goes on. Another, another question. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and I, love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. This is what I was just talking about. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Again, same thing. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will, will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And here we go again. This is what we just read earlier. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, and I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So I want to kind of just go back and go through this really quickly again. Because I think that Jesus is in this phase now where he's like, guys, I'm heading out of here, but I need to leave you with some things so that you're not going to be afraid. And he, even at the end of this where he says the prince of this world is coming, you know, he's reminding us, he's like, you know, Satan is real and he's doing things. He doesn't have power over, over Jesus or his followers, but he's up to things and he's, and he, but he says, come now, let us leave. And if you remember, we were looking at this, especially early in John, there was all this come language, all this come and see, come and see what he's like. You know, he's saying, so this story is not over. And I want to kind of, you know, jump ahead, you know, and we're going to take a week off next week on Easter. We're going to do kind of a special Easter thing and we'll come right back into John 15 the week following. But the, uh, this journey's not over yet. So we're not going to jump ahead yet. We're going to stay where Jesus leaves it. But remember, this come now is still invitational. He's like, come now. You know, he's not, you know, uh, he's inviting us to go along with it. But I want to just, I'm going to just um, look at these things the disciples say back to him. Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And that's interesting because we like to think uh, the way, Right? Like, show me the way to put this together or show me the way out of this maze or something like that. Like, there's a pathway, and Jesus is using that term but applying it to himself as an individual. He's like, you know the way because you know me. Like, I am the way. And there's no other real way to say that. I mean, he's, he's, he's saying, you think that I could just show you what to do and you could do it by yourself. And he's saying, you can't. I can. And you know me. So you're good. But we go, what? <laughs> and it's okay. And then the next one, the Lord, show us, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So we're like, that sounds like that might make sense, what you just said. But can you just prove it by doing some more God stuff, you know? And Jesus says back to that, he's like, 
all I ever do is God stuff. I can't be anything but God. But sometimes, quite often, it looks to your eyes very mundane. And I want you just to think about this. Jesus lives, as most people think, somewhere around 33 years on this earth before going to the cross and being resurrected. He spent most of that time working just like everybody else. The word, we, we would say carpenter, but really the word means builder. And most, mo- more than likely, uh, kind of like a general contractor. That Jesus, God himself, spent most of his earthly time first being a kid and then becoming a contractor, building on people's houses and things like that. That's something worth pondering because I think a lot of us um, devalue so much of what we do based on some sort of standards that God may not care about at all. You know, like there's a very good chance that you experience stress about certain aspects of your life that if you could honestly stand before the Lord, and you can, but if you would, you might hear him say, I'm pleased with that. In the same way that he would have said to Jesus when Jesus was 28, I'm pleased with that wall you just built. You hear what I'm saying there? We want God to show us, and I'm guilty of this just like the rest of us, so Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. I I say to God so much, just show us your Father. Show us the Father and we'll be fine, you know. But what I don't mean by that is show me the Father in your way, like you're doing it. Like there's there's an implication to this question, like because you're not. Like I'm saying... There he's saying, show us the Father and it'll be enough. And Jesus is like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do anything. Like, I am doing it right now. Like, what are you talking about, you know? And so the implication is that it's not happening. And that's the way that I tend to say things together. Like, well, God, just show me. Let, I want to see your spirit moving. And he's like, my spirit is moving. And he's like, yeah, but I'd like to see it. And he's like, you are. And I'm like, well, then. So I was like, more like, well, God, can you help me to care about it the same way that you do? And, and I think that gets to this last thing. He's like, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And he's saying, he's like, I'm not like not showing myself to the world. He's like, he says other places, like when you lift me up, I'm going to draw all men to myself. But he's saying that him being the way to God, and there's just no other way around that. Our, our society doesn't like exclusive terms. Because it's like, well, that's just your way. This is my way. It's all fine. It all works out in the end. And Jesus is kind of saying, yeah, it doesn't, though. And I'm the only way. Because I am the way. You know, and it's like I, I, I not hate anybody else, and I don't have to beat down on them or put them down because they don't know the truth yet. Like we just read from East Stanley Jones was going to India. They see people knew about gods, you know, they just didn't know God. So it's not like they weren't trying. He was just, he's like, you haven't heard the good news yet. So I'm going to tell you the good news. God is like Jesus. This Jesus is God. And that, you know, and when there's a lot to say there, and so he did. But so it's not like to be down on them, but he's saying, but like the truth is the fact that like I am the way, and I am showing you what God is like. You just don't always like it. But if you love me, you'll start getting it. And that's where you're saying, I'm not hiding anything from anybody, but you can't get there unless you love me. And, th- and if you do love me, then that changes who you are. And this we call this salvation. And then like you, you start to do the same kind of things that I'm doing. He's like, you'll even do greater things than I'm doing because I go to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit's going to come live in you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back again. That slide that I had at the beginning about kind of this pattern, these things that kept showing up, um, believing in God and knowing God. 
Jesus is believing me, who's God, and doing what he does. This is something he's just kind of commanding us to do, you know, keep my commands, you know, do all that stuff. And I'm going because he's going, but he's coming back. That hasn't even happened yet. And he's sending the helper, which is because you need it. Like, it's okay to need it. Like, guys like to take care of things, especially like, I got this. I don't need any help. And Jesus is like, yeah, you do. (laughs) But so does everybody. Let me read this other quote. This is another book. I'm going to quote this again next week. Um, Strangely, this is also a guy who was a missionary to India. And about the same time, Leslie Newbegin. This book is called Foolishness to the Greeks. But Oh, gosh. Hold on. I want to read you this chunk here because I think it kind of gets at some of this... uh, we talk about uh, this whole thing is kind of about being a, like a Christian life. You know, uh, Jesus is kind of laying out in a, in a chunk of this chapter. This is what a Christian life kind of looks like and kind of is like. And understanding what he's like, Jesus, I mean, and what you're like because of that and all that sort of thing. And then you start to have the church and what the church is like. Now, the interesting thing about this is the church can be or we can be however we want. And we may or may not be doing what he's saying in this thing. But we can act like we are and pretend like we are. That's difficult. So I would say you've got to weigh yourself by these words here. Like, what is, does this look like your life? Does this look like the life of your family? Does this look like the life of this church? You know? Or what mission are we even on? And I actually like this a lot because I think he says this in a way that... Uh, um, we all want to see this. We want to, see, like, this is the stuff these guys are asking. Like, just show us, God. I mean, show us these things. And Jesus is like, I am. But, you're my, like, what you want is right, but the way you want it and all that, gets, it's getting messed up in the middle of it. So, like, what are we supposed to be doing here? You know, this loving God, loving our neighbor or whatever. So, he says this. The project of bringing heaven down to earth. Sounds like a good idea. Like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, but so you, we engage now as a church on the project of bringing heaven to earth. However, we're going to do that, you know, well, just listen to this. The project of bringing heaven down to earth always results in bringing hell up from below. The full revelation of the heavenly city lies beyond the horizon of earthly history. This is important. You say like the kingdom of God and how that's going to happen. I'm going to read it again because this is you might be like, what are you talking about? The project of bringing heaven down to earth which would be maybe we'd say in this context, kind of like the way without the way. You see, it's like, Jesus, show us the way to be Christian so we can do that. And he's like, you can't do that without me. Like, but a lot of times we end up trying. You see what I'm saying? That's kind of what he's addressing here. So let me make sure I clarify that. The project of bringing heaven down to earth always results in bringing hell up from below. The full revelation of the heavenly city lies beyond the horizon of earthly history. But the vision of it must control Christian action within history. And such action can admit no separation of private from public life. While the church can never identify itself with the kingdom and must seek only the role of a servant, witness, and sign of the kingdom, yet the church can never admit any limitations of its role to the private sector. So I think he gives us the three things that we can do um, that fit with what Jesus is saying here. To be a servant of the kingdom, a witness 
of the way and a sign, meaning like the way we act as a group, the way we treat other people is this, like we're going to act like the kingdom of God is real because it is. The full revelation of it won't happen until Jesus returns. Like he promises he's going to come back and do that stuff. He's like, I'm going to come back. But for now, be a, let me, I'm going to read it again. Not servant like Jesus was. He just washed his disciples' feet. Be a servant. Be a witness. Tell people what you know. And be a sign. Sign of the kingdom. That's what I want to pray for us to be. And I want to end with this song. Um, I have a video and this is, an, uh, this is an old man singing an old song about God. And I think that's a great way to end this. <laughs> because we, tr- we try to cover too much. And I, I feel it. And I even feel like the fractaling of things where it's like, gosh, I mean, he says these things like seven times. And I can't even remember which one was which. And that's why we're going to go back through it this week. But I'm going to read Psalm 24. And then I'm going to have them play this song. And this is a song by Don Potter. It's called Show Me Your Face. And he's just singing about... This, this request, kind of what the disciples are saying. You're like, just show us. And he's like, I am. You know, and it kind of gets at both sides of this desire and this answer. And then we'll have some soup. But I want to read Psalm 24 as a way to close. Because Jesus, when he says, I am, he's the same I am that was in the burning bush. The same I am that parted the Red Sea. The same I am. That he's, and he's, Jesus knows he's doing that. That wasn't like a, oh, that's funny. He said that and it sounds like the other thing. He's like, I did that on purpose. <laughs> you know, he's like, this is Passover right now. You know, and it's the same time of year now, but it was the same time then. And so he's saying, like, you got to remember these things. He even told you to remember it. You know, I am the same God that was doing all of the things and the plagues and the whole, you know, I delivered the people, you know. And when you see him in human form, you sometimes can lose sight of that. And he's inviting us to not do that. So this, the human life of God that Jesus is living is also this, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. That's Jesus now. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And this, this is what I think he's saying to us. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. So just ponder this as they play this song. Show me your face, Lord. Show me
Show me your 
Jackson to come up. He's going to share something and then invite you to close us in prayer and pray for the food. Amen. Thank you. That was really a really a, a good word, a really a personal word. So, you know, he started the message about, you know, we have troubled hearts and and Philip says, you know, show me the Father. And, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, look at me, show me your face. And such a, a touching song by Don Potter, you know. So a lot of this also is about, you know, lordship. I mean, we're on Palm Sunday. And so, you know, the story of Jesus coming in and the palm branches and so on, people, Hosanna to the highest. So this is not the first time that they had done this. And this is a tradition for the king, coming king or messiah to do the palm branches and their expectation was the as as um you spoke from the book about you know the mighty armor of god you know so for all of us we have things in our lives that trouble us you know whether it's relationships or injuries or or finances you know things in our lives that really trouble us and so these next few chapters in John are, are really heady and intense, trying, how's it that we can kind of, kind of cross that, that river and really have this make a difference in our lives. And so in this scene of the, in the Palm Sunday scene where people have certain expectations about the Messiah, Jesus weeps which was kind of shocking to his disciples and to the people there. And so they were expecting this guy to come in and, you know, free them from the Romans. And, um, and so their expectations are here, and he shows them this. And it was not easy for them to see that. You know, they were expecting this, you know, coming, kind of marching in to Jerusalem, and yet he was very tender. I mean, part of that is that he sees the future of, you know, the people, the Jews coming to him. You know, once they recognize that, then the, the coming of the next age happens. So he sees all these things played out. I mean, he is God. Um, but um, the message for us is that... Um, in the, in the hard things of our lives, when we expect God to march in, like, take care of my finances or heal me of this illness or whatever, you know, our expectations are here. Sometimes God weeps over us and just does things differently. And so it is, again, about lordship. And as Brian said, he is the only way. You know, Peter said, you're the only way. So sometimes those, those times are challenging for us to accept God's lordship, that he, just like um, in India, you know, he is the only way. 
Lord, we, we thank you for this congregation. We, we pray that we might go there with you, uh, as Brian has talked about today, to this idea of lordship and Jesus being the only way and accepting something that's unexpected on this Palm Sunday, unexpected for this congregation, for us as individuals. And we just pray for that. God, we pray for this food. We pray for the fellowship around food, as we talked about last week, the importance of fellowship around food. And Father, help us not to be flippant or nonchalant, but to be personal during this time. As Jesus was personal, he wept. In Jesus' name, amen.